Man, hey, as you guys are sitting down, give somebody a high five, give them a hug. Paul says to greet each other with a holy kiss. Nobody ever takes me up on that, though. All right. Hey, 10 o'clock, how are we feeling? Y'all all right tonight? You awake? You good? I hope so, because, man, I am so excited about the text we're looking at tonight. We are, walk, we are walking through the Gospel of John and looking at encounters with Jesus, and the one we're looking at tonight, literally all week, I have been pumped and excited and expectant as I've been studying this text and thinking about, Lord, what do you have for your people? What's the meal that you want them to eat tonight? So I'm really excited about it. Not the least of which is because it comes at a time when we have had a crazy week in our country. Have we not had crazy? It's just been really full. Right? In, on Monday, the very beginning of the week, it was Martin Luther King Jr. Day, right? Now, those of you who don't remember that Grand Valley has not always had that off, you may not appreciate uh, that you, you just got that day off, but it used to be campus was just packed with event, 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 event. And quite frankly, uh, it got recognized, I think, maybe a lot more by students because it was such, a, such an intense day on campus. But the reality of it all, across the country, there were service projects, there were teach-ins, there were all kinds of events going on to commemorate uh, the great civil rights leader, Martin Luther King, Jr., right? Keep on going through the week, and then there was this thing called the inauguration of the 45th president of the United States on Friday. Did anybody actually watch this? Okay, good. Somebody actually paid attention to it. That's great. Some of you are like, oh, really? No. That, yes, the 45th president, um, uh, Donald John Trump, was uh, uh, inaugurated as president on Friday. Hundreds of thousands of people gathered in Washington, D.C. Uh, to recognize that day. And then the very next day, about the same number of people showed up in protest of that inauguration. Tension, right? I mean, we, guys, we are living. It's an interesting time to be in the States. We are living in this cocktail of national pride and resentment, hope and fear. Now, I mention all that both to make you feel really uncomfortable, but also to recognize that the story we're going to look at in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, and if you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn to that, and if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and we'll bring one to you. This, this encounter with Jesus we're going to look at in John, chapter 3, happens in a very similar cocktail in Jesus' life. Right? Earlier in the week, uh, just before we get to chapter 3, Jesus created a huge spectacle and controversy at the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus is in at the temple with his disciples on Passover. Now, Passover is a Jewish, uh, for Jewish people then and today, is a big national and religious holiday. It's both. It'd be like if Easter and the 4th of July were the same thing, right? It's got this uh, deep, passionate, religious uh, day, but it's also, especially in the context of the Jewish people living under a very oppressive regime, this seething nationalism. And temple is ground zero for it all. Jesus is at the temple with his disciples, and he looks around and he sees that on this holiest of holy days, on this uh, day when we remember God's deliverance from Egypt, there's all these folks selling religious trinkets 
religious wares, religious services, all kinds of stuff that is not particularly focused on the worship of God and the recognition of that day. And Jesus, we're all grown-ups, right? He gets pissed. He like goes John Cena on the temple place. <laughs> he tips over tables. He's chasing people out. I mean, he just, it's very unlike the person we come to expect in Jesus. And as people start to say, hey, who do you think you are? Jesus says, how dare you turn my father's house into a shopping mall? That's a loosely translated version. Later on in the week, as the uh, religious festivities are starting to wind down, Nicodemus who would have seen the whole thing, shows up to where Jesus is staying. And he wants to know, who is this guy? Is he for us? Is he against us? Is he an ally? Or is he an enemy? Now, I did some research on this this week, and I need you guys to know, this is the very first episode of Nick at Night. Some of you just got that. Take a second. Let it sink in. Here we go. You ready? First episode of Nick at Night. John chapter 3. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who's a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. No one could do the things that you're doing unless God were with him. And Jesus replied, I'm going to tell you the honest truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again from above. <laughs> How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb. Jesus said, I'm going to tell you the honest truth truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised when I say this, that you must be born for, again from above. The spirit blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, says Nicodemus? Jesus answered, You're the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things. I'm telling you the honest truth. We speak of what we know, we testify of what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How, will then, how then will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? No one's ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. Listen, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they haven't believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Look, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates light, will not come into the light for fear their deeds are going to be exposed, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. So that they, what has been done so that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Whew! That's quite a conversation. No small talk in this one. This is going to be a really fun sermon. You ready? Yeah. Nick comes to Jesus because he wants to figure out who this guy is. Is he a friend? Is he an enemy? And he knows some things about Jesus, right? Verse 2, Rabbi. We know you are a teacher who is sent from God. And we know this because of uh, the signs that are performed. Nobody could do that unless God was with them. That's pretty spot on, right? I mean, would you disagree with this? I'd like to be known as a, I'd like a, a Bible scholar to walk in the room and say, you know, Scott, I think you're a teacher sent from God. Thank you. I think so, too. And that's what Jesus does, right? Thank you, Nick. I really appreciate that. I'm glad you caught on. Mm -mm. No, he doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus blows right by the compliment. It's like he didn't even see it. He looks Nick right in the eye. I'm going to tell you the honest truth. No one can see the kingdom of God, unless they're born again from above. It seems to catch Nick off guard when he said that. How can anyone be born again? I can't go back inside their mother's womb. Jesus doesn't flinch. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again from above of water and spirit. See, when Nick comes, he knows some things about Jesus. But Jesus says to him, in effect, what you know is not going to help you. You can't even see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus. And you're never going to see it unless you're born again from above. And then I imagine there was a moment of seriously painful, awkward silence. Right? Nick, the kingdom of God is right in front of you. And you can't see it. Nicodemus is a highly educated, well-respected, influential, and deeply religious man. He is top of the class. You'll never see it unless you're born again. Guys, if that is true, for a well-educated, well-respected, influential, deeply religious man like Nicodemus, how much more 
for me. Look, many of you have gone to church your whole life, I bet you. Some of you went to Christian schools. You know a lot about Jesus. If I were to hand out a multiple choice or a true and false test, you could check off all the right answers. Who is Jesus? Where did he come from? What did he do? What was this miracle? You know plenty of stuff about Jesus. What is Jesus saying to you? I'm telling you the honest truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless you're born again from above of water and spirit. Guys, this is what makes Christianity fundamentally different than any other religion. All religious systems are built on a system of belief and practices. Belief and then practices to embody that belief. Essentially, religions are built by someone or someones who say, in effect, I think I found the way. Come with me, and we'll get there together. Christianity is fundamentally different than that because it's not about a pathway. It's about a person. And in fact, Christianity says the king of the kingdom has come here and he's taking us back home where we belong, which is exactly what Jesus says in verse 13. No one has ever gone into the kingdom except the one who came from the kingdom, the son of man. Christianity at its core is knowing Christ. And following him home. Look, as far as religion goes, Nick is top of the class. Nick knows all the right information. He, you could give him multiple choice, short essay, or long essay. He can answer all the right questions. And Jesus still says to him, you're never going to find what you're looking for, Nicodemus. No one can enter. No one can even see it. Unless you're born again from above. And to that point, Nick asked the million-dollar question. How? How can this be? How can a person be born again from above? And Jesus answers generously Nicodemus' question. First of all, it's from above. This isn't something you do yourself. Look, I have two kids. I've given birth. My wife has given birth to two kids, okay? I was a part of the process. Let that sink in a minute. Um, And I was there when it happened. One thing I can say to you with complete honesty, they did not give birth to themselves. Frankly, human babies, useless. They're completely useless. They just come out. They can't even lift their head up to eat. Useless creatures, completely dependent. Most other mammals, right? They come out, a couple hours later, they're walking. Nope, human babies. It's nothing. (laughs) Completely dependent on the one who gave birth to them. If that is true of natural life, how much more? Of rebirth, of eternal life. Guys, I'm telling you, if I, I'm going I'm to go hard at it for a second here, right? If I could identify one key idea that so many good religious people have that is a great hindrance to the gospel, it is this. 
Salvation is a reward for good behavior. If I could scrub that off of people's memories, I would just scour it out. It's the idea that, it's the idea of Pharisees everywhere. It's the great mistake. Rebirth is not a paycheck that we have earned. It is a gift that we receive. Only and completely because God chose to give us a gift. You must be born again from above, Jesus says. And the only way that that happens, Nicodemus, is through me. The most famous passage in the entire scriptures happens right here in the midst of this conversation. Not in some great sermon that Jesus is giving on the top, on the side of a mountain, but right here in the middle of this conversation, Nicodemus, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. In fact, seven times in verses 12 through 18, Jesus says the word believe. Just over and over again, believe, 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 believe. And that word believe is key. In its original use, it can, it, it, the connotation is the kind of belief a faithful spouse or faithful spouses have for one another. The kind of belief you have for a soldier in the battlefield with you. It's the exact same word as trust. Which means it has legs. It's not a concept. I believe Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president. No, no. It's I believe my wife loves me. This is the radical reality of Jesus' words to Nicodemus and truly to every person on the planet. If you want to see God, his presence, his power, his kingdom, you have to put your life in my hands. You have to trust me with your life. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. That's the point. It's broken by sin, and we broke it. Guys, Christians should be the least judgmental people on the face of the earth because we know the world is sick. It's dying, and it's dying because of us, because of our abuse, because of the way we treat each other, because of the way we treat ourselves, because of our indifference to God. It's broke. It's our fault. Jesus came to save it. Save us. Do you trust Jesus? Learned a lot about trust since being a parent, particularly from this little lady. I've got two kids. This particular little lady here is Allie. Allie loves singing, dancing, My Little Pony, piggyback rides, Captain America, and playing in the water. Captain America could have been influenced by me. In fact, ever since she was a baby, I know, right? She's the best. Ever since she was a baby, she has absolutely loved the water. She never wants to leave the lake or the pool, even when it's a little uncomfortable for her. She still loves being there. In fact, when she was younger, long before she was able to swim, if mommy and daddy were in the pool, she was coming in. She jumped right into the deep end, no hesitation. 
Because she knew as soon as she jumped in, Daddy would pick her up, take her back over to the side, jump back in. Daddy would pick her up, take her to the side, jump back in. Can we stop playing this game? No, jump back in, pick her up, take her to the side. Right? No fear. No hesitation. She completely entrusted her lives to us. Because she knew she was loved. That's what Jesus means. That's the word. Put your life into my hands. Trust me. Follow me home. Scholar N.T. Wright uh, put it this way. He says that the point of this whole story is that you don't have to be condemned. You don't have to let the snake kill you. That's the story with Moses. It's the analogy. Look, God's action in the crucifixion of Jesus had planted a signpost right in the center of history. And the post says, believe and live. So really there are two questions that arise from this astounding conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. The first one, and maybe the most obvious one, is have you been born again? Have you received the gift of life that Jesus has for you by entrusting your life to him? Receiving that new life and letting him lead you home. Have you followed him into the kingdom? The second question is this. If you have received new life in Christ, is that life evident to the people around you? This new life was so obvious in Jesus and in his followers that even if people didn't believe it, they had to reckon with the reality that these people sure did. They're not like everybody else. This gift of new life had so transformed the new community of Christians and has continued to do so for generations. They had to share it with everyone because everyone needs to know. God has not given up. You don't have to be condemned. God has planted a sign in Christ on the cross. Believe and live. And I'll say to you, friends, if you have received new life in Jesus Christ through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension to glory, through his sending of the Spirit into you, if you have received that gift, and your heart does not ache with longing for the world to receive the same gift. You need to meditate on the depth of what God has done for you. Because you are dangerously close to becoming stillborn instead of born again. God Love the world so much. This is the heartbeat of God so much that he sent his one and only son. Whoever puts their life in his hands will not perish. That is a promise. They will have eternal life. But every person that you've ever met, every person you will ever meet, whether they are rich, they are poor, they are powerful, they are vulnerable, they are conservative, or they are liberal, Every person is confronted by these words from Jesus. No one will ever see 
the glorious presence of the kingdom of God unless they had been born again from above by putting their lives into Jesus' hands, following him home. Friends, we want to give you uh, the opportunity tonight to respond to the gospel. If you have not been born again, if you have not yet received new life in Christ and you want to receive that gift, there's going to be a few folks stationed, uh, a couple different prayer stations, both two in the front and two in the back. Uh, And you want someone to pray with you so that you might receive new life in Christ. There will be a few of us up here. There is absolutely no pressure on you on this. The last thing I want you to feel is compulsion by me. I want you to feel compulsion by the Holy Spirit, but I'll let the Spirit do his work and I'll do mine. But if God is working in you to the point that you're saying, I want that new life in me from Jesus, we want you to have an opportunity to come and respond and receive prayer. For all of us, if you have received that gift, this is your opportunity to give thanks to God as we sing. Give thanks to God for that new life, but also pray, God, awaken me. Awaken me to the people in my life that need to hear. You don't have to be condemned. God hasn't given up. He has life for you if you'll receive it. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, your word comes to us with great challenge and great comfort. It comforts us, Lord, knowing that We don't have to be condemned for all the things that we have done. That we can be set free, reborn from above, the gift from you. Thank you for that grace, Lord. For those of us here tonight that need to receive that, we pray for both the courage and we pray for the joy of receiving that new life. And for those of us, God, who have received this gift, have had you transform our lives, are following you home. God, awaken us. Awaken us to your work. Awaken us to the people around us who have not yet seen the glorious kingdom of Jesus Christ so that we can be an instrument of grace in their lives. Hear us now, Lord, as we sing our praise to you and offer up our prayers. In Jesus' powerful name, we all say together.